which I think is appropriate this morning, talked about living water and how God is the source of living water and it ties in with the church that's named the living water in Malawi that we heard of this morning. And God wants to cause us to be refreshed today. He says, I am the source of living spiritual water. I'm the one that will refresh you. And if you come to me as an oasis in the desert, I will come and do things in your inner being that could not be explained in any other way except that God has intervened in your life. He wants to refresh you this morning, but it is uh, an act of your will that you will come and drink of the living water. And Jesus described himself as part and parcel of that living water. Come to Jesus, who wants to refresh you today. He knows the beginning from the end, as you've already heard. He knows the purposes and plans that he has for your life. And if you walk with him, there will be times of refreshing. We bless you, Jesus. Adrian, can we sing one more worship song? Have you got one up there? One there. It's a lovely spirit here. We can just worship the Lord. One more song, whatever you have there, please. Thank you, all my time.
to this world because, not to condemn us, Lord, but because you loved us so much. And thank you, God, that you love each person here this morning. And Lord, we ask that, Father, if they don't know you in that personal way and don't know your love for them, that, God, they would come to know you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Just to say that... Um, this evening is a, a bit of a, an, a special service because we have one of the missionaries that Rowling was talking about with us here today. Um, and, pardon? Oh, yes, wonderful. And it's Tanya. Is that welcome, Tanya, here? Please stand up, Tanya, please stand up. Yes, stand up. This is Tanya. This is Tanya. And uh, she's been working in India at the moment. She's uh, in England working to get some of the produce that uh, the workers that she has been engaged with in India uh, trying to find an outlet for the stuff that they're producing. So um, we welcome Tanya and she will be part of our service this evening among other things. Now can I just say that um, I realise that our time is limited now but we do value so much this book. It's the Bible and we personally think, Sherry and Michael, that this is the best highway code to bringing up children. We think it's the best highway code to marriage. It's the best highway code to being single. It's the best highway code to working your finance out. It's the best highway code to your sexual life. It's the best highway code to your job situation. In fact, this book has got something to say about every aspect of our lives. And because of that, we not only value this, we spend time on a Sunday just opening the book and looking into what it's got to say to us. Now, my, my pattern of preaching is usually taking one part of this book, maybe one of the, the books within the book, and just going through it systematically. And what we're going to be doing in the next few Sunday mornings leading up to Christmas is looking at one of those particular books. It's a very small book. It's an, it seems an insignificant book, and in many respects, it seems like it's been a book that's been um, a little bit left on the shelf. Not many folks would have studied it. But we're going to spend uh, some of our Sunday mornings looking at the book of Jude, which is the second to last book in the Bible. You've got the book of Revelation. We're looking at Revelation on a Sunday night, in actual fact. Not this Sunday night, but we are going to be going through a series of studies in the book of Revelation. But if you have a Bible, and many of you haven't, but if you have, we're going to read a few verses from the next to last book in the New Testament, and it's the book of Jude. And uh, it's just, uh, it hasn't even got chapters. It's only got one chapter. It's only got, what is it, uh, 25 verses. It's a short little book, and maybe that's one of the reasons it's been sort of neglected. But I personally think it has a huge amount to say to the modern-day church. Because it, I don't know whether you're aware of it, but the church in Great Britain is a bit under attack at the moment. Um, from various sources, and this book will just remind us of the church that was under attack back when it was written 2,000 years ago, and how relevant those verses that this, this would speak to us about um, have to us today. Now, because time is limited, I was comp- planning to read the, the, the whole of the book, which is just 25 verses, but we have uh, limited time, so I'm just actually going to read the first two verses to you. 
They're on the screen, Paul, and if you can put them up, but I'll uh, read here the lessons from the book of Jude. Here it is, just the first two verses of this book, and I'm just going to spend 20 minutes just asking, what has God got to say? What, what relevance has this two verses got to us today? I'd like to say it's got a huge amount to t- say to us today. And here, here's the words, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James, you will immediately notice this is just the address. In those days, it was very sensible. They wrote the name of where, uh, who it's from and where it was going right at the beginning of the letter. Anybody, apart from me, when you open a letter, the first thing you do is look at the end of it. Who's it from? What a silly thing. Well, in those days, they wrote who it's from at the beginning. How very sensible. Right. But anyway, so here it is. Okay, so I'm, this is Jude. I'm, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, telling you who I am, and a brother of James. That's who's writing this letter. To those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. That's pretty simple stuff, isn't it? But I tell you, packed in those couple of verses has got something for everyone in this room here today. Now some of you are regular churchgoers. You've been to church ever since you were born, like, uh, like our baby today. Others of you, maybe you're unfamiliar with church. Well, I'm going to tell you whether you're here regularly or not. There's something in those two verses for every one of us here. Now, I'm going to pull in, skip the next slide, okay? We'll look at that because of time next week. But we're going to go straight into asking just three simple questions about that particular two-verse statement. The first question I'm going to ask is, who wrote this letter? Well, we've just been told who wrote it. It was Jude. Now, that's an interesting little phrase, Jude, because there are five people in Scripture called Judas. That's his name. But uh, the, the same word means, uh, Judas it's, means praise God, and it's, uh, it's a, a similar word that's found in the Old Testament. And we can learn an awful lot about a person by what they say about themselves. So this, le- this letter comes from Judas. It's very short, but it's going to be a very important letter. Judas didn't want to be known as a Judas because of the connotations of another Judas in the New Testament. It's not the one that's the disciple of Jesus. If you remember that Judas was one of the twelve disciples, you remember that he did miracles, he walked with Jesus, he helped feed 5,000 people, he healed the sick, he even exercised demons. But we're told in the Bible... Even having done all of that, he was sent to what is called hell, which is the lost eternity. You say, that's heavy stuff, Barry. But I don't mind reminding you that there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. In other words, eternity is a real thing. And we're told that one of the very people that walked with Jesus for three and a half years doing all sorts of miracles ended up so messing up that he wasn't going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's why I'm going to, in a little while, mention this word called and kept because I need to make sure that my relationship with Jesus is such that I'm going to make sure I get to heaven. And you can be sure. I believe it's absolutely certain in the Bible that you can be sure that you're going to go to heaven. And I'll explain that in a little while. But there it is. His name is Judas. But he doesn't like to be called Judas, so he's called Jude. And immediately, the other thing that he says about himself makes me like this man very much. 
Because whether you know it or not, I don't know, but you realise that Judas, this particular Judas, one of the, the five people called Judas, he's called the brother of James. Now, it seems like everybody knew James because he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And so, all he needed to say, I'm just the brother of James. And everybody would have thought, James, we know him. He's the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He's quite famous. But James was the brother of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus had four brothers? And so, James is a brother of Jesus. Therefore, Judas is a brother of Jesus. So, when he's introducing himself, he doesn't say, this is Judas. Me and Jesus, we're brothers. He doesn't say that. I like this man Jude because immediately we see his humility. He doesn't even, he, he simply says, I'm, this is Jude writing to you, I'm the brother of James, I'm willing to play second fiddle to my brother James who's quite well known as the pastor over there in Jerusalem. I'm just his brother. He doesn't even mention that he's a brother of Jesus. Of course, if you know your New Testament well, you know that the family of Jesus doesn't come out in very good light because at one particular time the brothers and the mother of Jesus come to and they actually call Jesus a schizophrenic. Is that a phrase that you see or it's bipolar or whatever? I don't know what they call it. But, but certainly they accuse Jesus of being off his head. They say, you've, you've, you, you're way too big for yourself, Jesus. Come on, come back to the carpenter's shop. You're just getting a bit too big for yourself here. And then another time, this is the family of Jesus. This is Judas along with the brothers. They come to him and say, okay, if you really are this supposed Messiah, come do a trick. Come do a miracle. Come do something. And Jesus has to turn to his family who haven't understood who he is at that particular time and say, it's not my time to actually do miracles yet. And then of course eventually he does do miracles. And so... It was even, it was not, in actual fact, even at the crucifixion of Jesus, none of his family, his immediate family, had become Christians, had had faith in him. He has to turn to another person and say, well, would you, you know, look after my mother? Very important to understand that your family connection in this church does not make you a Christian. Yeah? This little baby... The family collection, connection, very important. And this family got a lot of family connection that does not put you in any position of whatever. It is your individual faith in the Lord Jesus that matters. And so, eventually, of course, they get saved. And, and Judas becomes one of the disciples. And we know that, uh, uh, of course, all of them would have been invited to the wedding at Cana of Galilee. That's why they were all there. And they eventually come disciples of Jesus. But what do they call him? What does Jesus, what does Judas, Jude, call Jesus? He doesn't say, this is Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm an apostle of the faith. He says, listen, I am simply a bond slave, a servant of this Jesus. It's his brother. But he's saying, listen, I want you to know that as far as I'm concerned... I sub totally submit to myself to the Lordship of Jesus. He is my Lord and my Saviour and uh, I am just a humble servant. And that word servant means slave and that's a very derogatory word in the Old Testament. A servant of Jesus. So that's who wrote it. And I like Jude, if nothing else, just from verse 1 of this letter. I like him for a lot more for what we're going to look at in the next few weeks of this letter. But I like him for his humility. And do you know what? I personally think 
that one of the things that God is looking for every one of us here is to humbly come before our God. Especially us blokes. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pick on you, Michael, I know, but us blokes. Sometimes we can be a bit pig-headed. Well, so my wife says anyway. <clears throat> but actually, that's not true. It's not because my wife says. I think sometimes us blokes need to recognise we need to humble ourselves and come before the living God. And of course, that's true with all of us. And you can't pray, Lord, humble me. That's not a prayer in the Bible because the Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will exalt you. So it's our responsibility to come humbly before our God. We do that in worship. We come and we say, we come and bow down. We don't physically bow down. though. No, I don't think there will be any problem with us bowing down. But we come and we say, Jesus, we totally submit ourselves to you. Now, I tell you, that doesn't, that doesn't rest easy with modern day society. Modern day societies, you claim what's right. You've got, you've got, you know, you don't have to humble yourself to anybody. But Jude says, listen, I bow myself in humility before the Lord Jesus. I'm just a humble servant of his. So that's the first question. And you can see that we've only got three questions, so we're not going to spend a huge length of time this morning. But the second question um, I want to answer is, who is he writing to? Who is he writing to? And we're told very clear, just in those two verses, we're told who he's, he's writing to. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. Now as we go through the book of Jude, you will see that he likes threes, triplets. He likes to put words into threes. And three, uh, there's going to be illustrations... Uh, Three sets of threes you're going to see right the way through the book of Jude. And here's the first of the set of threes, because he's going to say, I'm now writing to you, and I'm describing who I'm writing to. And he uses three fabulous words. He says, number one, I'm writing to those who are called, I'm writing to those who are kept, and those who are loved. But first and foremost, we're going to look at this word called. Um, Susan and I, uh, a couple of months ago, had a a letter which we received and it was an invitation to a lovely meal and a Kaylee uh, last night. Some of the congregation were at it. It was at somebody's Ruby wedding anniversary and so we were called or we were invited and that's one of the three ways that this word calls. You know, the Greek language which in which the, the, the Bible was written in Greek, um, it it's a language is, is very different from English. Our word called has the word meaning, uh, the word called, but in the Greek language, it, the word called can mean several things. I'll give you three of the meanings of the word called. Oh, I've actually got that as number two, but let, let's stay with B, shall we, because I'll just remind me of my party, okay? A summons to a feast or a festival. It's like an invitation. Um, you are called to come and enjoy this festive, festive occasion. Last night we had a huge time of fun together. Nice Kaylee, nice bit of dancing and what have you. Nice, nice food. And we were celebrating somebody's 40th wedding anniversary. Now I want to tell you, when God calls a person, he's calling you to a much bigger feast than that. And a much bigger celebration. This is point number two on this particular screen. A summons to a feast. This is explaining what the word called means. God has called every human being. Now it's whether the human beings respond to the invitation, by the way. But he has invited you to a feast with him in heaven. 
It's called the marriage feast of the Lamb, which we will get to when we get through the book of Revelation. But let me tell you this. He's invited you, if you have a living relationship with God this morning, it is, in, it is like having a feast. It's like, like going to a party. If you've got some idea that Christianity is boring, if you've got some idea that Christianity will, will in some way stop you enjoying life, that's not the Christianity that I worship, that I'm in, involved with. My Christianity is a, a Christianity of joy and peace and excitement. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is calling you to a, a party, to a feast. That's one meaning of the word. Another meaning of the word is that you're called to an office or duty because um, when the Christians are being called to join with Jesus, then we are called to serve him. We've already mentioned there that Jude is willing to call himself a servant of Jesus, called to serve him in, by way of duty. And, and I'm glad to tell you that I'm not the only servant of Jesus because I get paid here. Every Christian in this room here is called to serve the Lord Jesus. And you do that in your workplace or you do that in whatever volunteer situation you find here. But also, the, another meaning of that word is that we're called to give an account in judgment at a court. These are all meanings of the Greek word called. And Jude is saying, listen, to all you saints, to all you, you Christians, you are called. <clears throat> it doesn't seem very relevant to this morning's service, but let me tell you this. One day we will all stand before God. We will. Hopefully it will be a long time for you before that happens. I went to a funeral this last week for a man, a preacher that I highly respected, and he, he passed into eternity at the age of 84, and that's great. But we don't, we don't know how long we've got, but the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. After that, we are called to stand before a judgment seat of heaven. You say, I didn't come to church to hear about judgment. Well, I'm not talking about judgment, because I'm going to tell you in a moment that God loves you and he doesn't want to judge you. But we are called one day to face an eternity and face a God who says, listen, I will ask you to account for what you did in your life. And however good or bad you've been in your life, I'm going to ask you specifically, what did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus? We are called to give an account of how we live our lives. So we are called. I'm glad to say that that is a blessed and a most holy calling. It's a high call. It's a heavenly call. It's a holy call. Um, my Bible says, be eager to make your calling and election sure. Can I just talk to those folks who come to this church for a long, long time? This, about two months ago, about six weeks ago, one of the folks who'd been coming to the church here for over, for the two years I've been here, came to me and said, gleaming face, they're not here, but they wouldn't mind me saying this even if they were here. And some of you may pick out who I'm talking about, but they're not here this morning, so that's a clue, isn't it? Okay. They came to me um, six or five weeks ago and they said, I went on that Alpha course. I went on an Alpha course about mm, six years ago and it didn't quite actually, you know, it didn't actually mean much. But I went on an Alpha course just two months ago and I gave my life to Jesus. And I looked at them, I said, what do you mean you gave your life to Jesus? I thought you were a Christian. Well, I wasn't quiet. How many know you can be not quite a Christian? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Oh. 
How many know that you can do all the things that other Christians do? You can come and raise your hands and clap and sing and do stuff in church, but be not quite a Christian. Can I tell a joke now? Can I? I will anyway. All right. So my wife's talking back to me. All right. You've heard this before, but it's worth me saying because when I first became a Christian, when I first became a minister, you've heard me mention. Forgive me, but I went to visit this little, dear little old lady, and forgive me if you've heard this. And and I went, and she went and made me a cup of tea because that's what you do when the vicar calls. And um, and while she was in the kitchen, I heard there was another Christian in the room because I heard a praise the Lord, hallelujah. And I looked around, I couldn't see a Christian anywhere. Look behind the settee, exaggeration. But I did, I couldn't see a Christian. And there it was, in the corner, in her cage, she taught her bird to sing, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. It, was, it wasn't a parrot, it was the other one. Um, a pigeon, that's right. There was a pigeon in there. In it. <coughs> and it was, a, it was a Christian pigeon. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. It was Pentecostal, it was raising its wings. Oh, hallelujah. I think house church. Dancing on the perch as well. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Listen, folks, you can do everything that everyone else does around you, but you need to be sure of your calling. Are you saved this morning? You say, what do you mean am I saved? Well, I do good. That's not good. Doing good, if you haven't learned the lesson that doing good and being in church doesn't bring you salvation, the only way, and you can know that you're a Christian, is that you have honestly come to Jesus on your own, never mind about your family, and you said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive my sin. It is sin in my life, Lord. Not, I'm going to call it by its name. It's sin in my life, and I want you to forgive that sin, and I want you to come into my life and change me. You need to be born again. Billy Graham, who's nearly passing into eternity, he will talk about, you must be born again. I want to tell you, if you're not born again by the Spirit of God, this verse that I'm just talking about here, be sure of your calling. Be eager to make your calling and election sure. I don't, I, when I pass into eternity, and I've pastored this church for the 20 years I'm going to be the pastor, okay, I want to make sure, I should be very old, but um, I want to make sure that everyone that's come in the doors has heard the message you need to be born again. Because this is life and death stuff. You need to be born again. You need to know, and you can know, that you're born again of the Spirit of God. So, I better move on. He says, you're called. Called for holiness, called to love God, called to love the saints. But there's the first little word, and we haven't gone very far in this verse, have we? But you're called. I'm glad to tell you that that call is from somebody who loves you very much, because you're called and loved. Loved, was it saying there? To, to those who have been called, who are loved by God. God is not a big... I know that you school teachers, right? He's not a big headmaster, I remember these days. Anyone remember those days when they had sticks? Oh, I tell you, I knew about those sticks. All right, cause, uh, and, uh, all right, and you get arrested now if you touch the child. They certainly knew how to touch me when I was in school. And, I'm, and whatever. But he's not a big schoolmaster with a stick ready to beat us up. He's also not a big Father Christmas in the sky ready to dole out gifts to everybody. He is a holy and a righteous God. But even in his holiness, even in his awesomeness, even in, even in his splendour and his creative, creative power, he is still the God who loves you. 
He loves you very much. He loves you just the way you are, so that whatever you are at this present moment, he will, he will change you from one degree of glory to another. He'll make you better than you are, but he starts with love. He starts with acceptance. And God accepts you. You may or may not have been accepted by other human beings, but there's a God in heaven who loves and accepts you because you're called and loved. It's called into fellowship. You're beloved of God. The most marvellous thing is, hopefully, when this child grows up and gives her life to Christ and gets part of the fellowship, you're involved in a huge fellowship of saints. We've heard that millions of Christians around the world are praying for poverty-stricken areas around our world. We're part of a huge family of God. So wherever in the world you might go, whether it's Malawi or wherever, you will find other believers who are called and loved by God. And their security isn't, oh, I'm a good boy, I go to church, I tithe, I've been baptised. Their security is in the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for Barry Killick, that if Barry Killick commits his life to Christ, he will know what eternal life is. It's all about being called and loved. And I think I'm going to finish on the third word. I haven't even got through this sermon and we've not even got through verses 1 and 2. Okay, I'm going to finish on this third world because it says loved and kept. Kept. I love that verse that says, he that begins a good work in you. Can anybody finish that? Ah. If, God, if God begins the work, he can carry it through. Because when God starts a work, he, he, he finishes it. Now I tell you, I don't know when God started a work in you, for God started a work in me when I was seven years of age. It may be earlier, but that's the earliest memory I've got, because when I was seven, I was given a little Bible by, in an old Methodist church uh, by some two dear little old ladies who wrote in the Bible, and I know that they must have been Christians from what they wrote in that Bible. It took another seven years before I gave my life to Jesus. But I know that God started the journey of keeping me way earlier than I ever responded to him. Now, I don't know where you've come, whether you've ever, ever had anything to do with Sunday school, whether you've been through an awfully painful experience in your life up to now. You've had a whole section of your life that has just so been bad. I believe I'm speaking to someone in the room that fits into that category. But God started the journey. If he began the good work, he will bring it to completion. And what is completion? Well, you could say completion is heaven, but I'd like to say that heaven can begin here on earth because I don't think that we're just saved to populate heaven. God wants you to start your spiritual journey now. Listen to me. Whatever's happened to you, God kept you all through that stuff. Did he not? Can I have a bit more enthusiasm? Did he keep you? He did keep you. And you thrashed out a God and you thrashed out the devil and you thrashed out of the church and whatever. I'm sorry, I yelled, didn't I? It's the baby. No, sorry, it's me yelling. All right. God keeps us. He keeps us from falling. One of the wonderful verses in, the, in this book of Job, right at, uh, Jude, right at the end of the book, he, he's going to keep us from falling. Beautiful, beautiful word. So we're loved, we are, we're called, we're loved and we're kept. Now let me conclude by saying this. Every one of those needs a human response. God can call, but whether you respond to that call is up to you. God loves you, but what you do with that love by loving others is up to you. God says, I will keep you, but in the, in the end of this book, he says, God keeps you in, the, in verse 1. In the last verse, he's going to say, but keep yourselves. There is a human responsibility to all of those things. 
Number one, the Lord calls and goes on calling us, but we need to continually to respond to his call. Now, I'm going to be totally blatant and open and upfront with you here. Whether you've been coming to this church for a long time or this is your first visit here, the call of God is to know Jesus as your personal friend and saviour. And that's an open call to every human being. For God so loved the world. I believe that God calls all human beings. But whether you respond to that, whether you respond to that is up to you. Those two long words, forget those. God imputes and parts. But God, God calls us, but we need to respond. Have you responded to the love of God? Have you said simply, God, I need you in my life. I need you to come in and sort me out. I need you to deal with my old nature. I need you to deal with my sin. I need to repent, Jesus. And I need to start walking with you. So God calls. He's calling you here today. It's not an accident that you're in church this morning. Even if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, he calls you again and again and again. You don't have to get the call like Tanya to go to India or somewhere like that. God calls us to serve him on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. Am I, have I got my ear open to hear and respond to the call of God? Then we're loved. We are loved, but God is requiring that we love in return. How many times have I said this from this pulpit? We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But if we put 1 John 3.16 in with that, by this we will know love in that we would care and look after the brethren, the poor. We prove that we have been loved by loving others. If you see your brother in need and turn your back on, on him, how can you say that the love of God dwells in you? That's 1 John 3.16, and 18. That's why unashamedly I say we've got to be thinking outside these walls. There's a needy world out there. And we're a global village. So yes, I'm loved, but I need to love in return. Love God back and love my brothers and sisters and love the world. And then finally, we're kept. We're kept, but there are two sides to this I've already said. In verse 21, Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. And we can do that by actually going through the rest of this book and recognising the dangers that were going to hit, hit us as individuals and as a church. And there's huge illustrations, Old Testament illustrations, all the way through this book about the dangers that we can go off at some tangent or other. And unfortunately, the church of Jesus has been very good at going off at tangents. And in, t in our day and age, they're going off at a couple of very serious tangents. And we'll look at those as we go through this book. But let's wind things up now. Do you know you're saved? Are you convinced that if you were to die tonight and stand before God and God was going to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Would it be, well, actually, I went along to that rugby Christian fellowship quite regularly. Preacher shouted about a bit and, you know, made us laugh sometimes, but, you know, I went to church. Wrong answer. Oh. Oh, well, uh, I know I'm going to heaven because I was a good person. I was certainly not as bad as so-and-so and so-and-so. In fact, I'm not as bad as some of them hypocrites down at church. Wrong answer. You don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to heaven because you're bad either. They lied to me when, they were, when I was a kid and in the children's homes. They said, if you're good, when you die, you go up there. And when you're bad, you go down there. That's a lie. They didn't understand what they were saying because what they didn't realize is that you could never be good enough to go your way, get up to heaven. The only way you're going to get to heaven is by receiving Jesus as your personal friend. Knowing that your sins are forgiven. 
I know whom I have believed. And I'm sure that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. There can be a knowledge, a knowing that I'm not sure whether I'm going to heaven. You can know, and you can know simply because you've given your life to Jesus. And for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, the calling didn't stop there. The loving and the keeping didn't stop there. It means it's a daily response to what you hear from God. You've been very gracious. I'm going to ask us to, in a moment, conclude with one more song. But before we do that, as the band joins us, can we pray together, please? Okay, let's just be still. There's one or two moving because again in the teens and so forth. But can we just be still for one more minute, please? Before we sing our final song, unashamedly, I want to challenge you to ask yourself: Have you responded to the call of God? And responding to the call of God is simply a prayer. I prayed it when I was a teenager. Others prayed it when they were much older than that. And it's a simple prayer of saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved me enough to die on that cross. And I know I've done wrong things, Lord Jesus, and I ask you to forgive me, and I want to repent of those things. And I ask you to come into my life now, Lord Jesus. I ask, Lord, that I want to start my spiritual journey, and that he that hath begun a good work will bring it to completion, but I want to make a start here, Lord. Every Christian at some stage has made a start. Nobody was born into the kingdom. They made a start by saying, Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my life. Now, is there somebody that needs to make a start on this spiritual journey this morning? You need to ask God's forgiveness. You need to ask him to come into your life. Billy Graham would ask you to come forward and stand at the front. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I am going to ask you to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, there's someone in our congregation while we're bowed in prayer and no one's looking around that's ready to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need, I need you to forgive my sin. I need, you to, I need you to change me. I'm going to ask you to do a simple thing while we're bowed in prayer. Just indicate to me, raising your hand would be a good thing. Just say, Barry, that's me. I want to make a start on this spiritual journey. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there somebody in this room here this morning that needs to make your calling and, and sure? Put your hand right up now so I can see it and say, you're saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want to give my life to you this morning. Somebody want to do that? Start on your spiritual journey? I'm not going to prolong this, but is there someone here? You know you need to get, start, get right with God. Put your hand right up now. Do you know, I'm not going to prolong this, but I'm convinced there's somebody that needs to do that. And if you're too embarrassed to put your hand up, I'm going to ask you to come and speak to somebody at the front here. We'll explain that in a little while. Father, we pray for everyone in our church this morning. We pray that we will be in that place where we know that we are saved, that we know we're called and loved and kept. And that, Lord Jesus, we've responded in every three of those areas. Responded to your call. Responded to your love by loving others. Responded to your keeping by keeping ourselves in your love. We pray, Lord, that this week we will want to walk with you in a closer way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've listened very well. Thank you ever so much. I hope you can come again. Tonight we've got a great...
service with Tanya and others. If you'd like to receive prayer for any particular reason, I'm going to ask the front row folks to move uh, in a little while. Just come and sit on the front row. We'll be glad to pray with you. We have a ministry team who will pray. If you're sick, we will pray with you down the front here. If you'd like to know what it is to make that spiritual step forward and give your life to Jesus, come and sit on the front row and one of our counsellors will do that and help you. We hope you can stay for a bit of David and... uh, No, not David. Yes. David and Grace's cake. Uh, There's cake and there's refreshments. And hope you can come back at 6 o'clock tonight. A song. Let's stand as, as we sing, shall we?